This show is created for adult audiences only. Our show notes include content warnings and other helpful information. We strongly recommend taking a moment to assess the situation before continuing. Let's begin. Episode 36. The Yuba County Five. It is often said to take the path less traveled. However... That is not always the best advice. For some, it is best to stick to the path that is known, frequently traveled, and not full of surprises. Unfortunately, this was not the case for the five California men that ventured off into the wilderness, only to never be seen again. Much like the infamous Dyatlov Pass incident before it, this story remains a mystery to this day. No one quite knows what went through the minds of the men on that dreadful night in February of 1978. Join us, campers, as we attempt to reconstruct the story of the Yuba County Five. It was a chilly day in February of 1978, colder than the citizens of Yuba City would have anticipated. Jack Madruga sat in his 1969 Mercury Montego, along with two of his friends, Jackie Hewitt in the passenger seat and William Sterling in the back seat. They sat waiting for their friend Theodore Weir so they could go pick up the remaining member of the group, Gary Mathias. Weir quickly rushed out the front door. He didn't have time to grab his coat, despite the cold evening air. He was too excited and figured he wouldn't need it anyway. He packed into the back seat next to Sterling as they drove to pick up Mathias. Gary Mathias sat anxiously waiting for his friends to pick him up. His patience was wearing thin as he anticipated the big game later that evening. He sat staring out the window, waiting for them to show up as he finished his dinner. The last few days, he and his group of friends had been planning a trip to drive to Chico to watch a basketball game at the California State University. Despite the impending weather and snowfall that day, their plans were still on. He watched as the headlights came up the road, and he spotted the familiar Mercury Montego. Before they could honk to let him know they were there, Matthias met them in the driveway. He, too, 
did not choose to wear his coat that day. He then packed into the back of the Montego as the five set out on a two-hour journey towards Chico, California. The car was full of excitement as they conversed and shared in their love for basketball. They had all been part of a local basketball team called the Gateway Gators and were supposed to play a game the next day on February 25th, which could qualify them for the upcoming Paralympics. If they won the game, they would get to go to Los Angeles. Each of the five men shared some form of a disability or suffered from mental health issues. The men attended the Yuba City Gateway Program, which was a vocational rehabilitation center where they learned different trades while getting to play on the center's basketball team. Theodore Weir, referred to as Ted by his friends, was the oldest of the group. Despite being the oldest, he had the mind and brain capacity of a child. He was a very friendly person and loved by many. He had recently been forced to quit his job due to being unable to handle the high-pressure workload. Jack Hewitt was the shortest of the group, standing a mere five feet and nine inches tall. His head tended to droop slightly, and he had a hard time responding in social situations. However, when he was comfortable, he was a very cheerful man and made friends wherever he went. He was particularly fond of Ted Weir. They were often inseparable and went everywhere together. Jack Madruga had graduated high school and immediately enlisted in the army, where he served in Vietnam, but was discharged after a medical evaluation. Despite never being actually diagnosed as disabled, he was often referred to or considered slow by those that knew him. He was the only one competent enough to obtain a driver's license. He loved driving and cherished his Mercury Montego as much as his love for basketball. Gary Mathias had also enlisted in the army and had been stationed in West Germany. However, following a mental breakdown in 1973, he was diagnosed with paranoid schizophrenia and was honorably discharged. This resulted in him taking medication for the last five years. His condition had improved significantly, and he was able to keep a job working for his father's landscaping business. The last of the group, Bill Sterling, was very similar to Ted. He too had the mind of a child and rarely left the house other than for church, basketball, or to spend time in a local hospital where he would read Bible verses to patients. This was something he loved to do as he cared deeply for others. As they continued on their journey towards Chico, the five men sat laughing and sharing their thoughts on the upcoming game they were to play the next day. However, sadly, they would never make it home to play. For that night was the last night anyone 
would ever see them alive again. As it was getting late that night and the men still hadn't arrived home, their families became very worried and contacted the local authorities to see if there was any word on them or if anyone had seen them. It was out of the ordinary for any of them to not return home, as none of them ever spent a night away. The police then issued a missing persons report on the men. It wasn't long before reports started coming in. Several of the witnesses stated that they had seen them attending the basketball game. Others stated that they had seen the Mercury Montego leaving the parking lot after the game. It was also reported by a cashier at a local convenience store that he had seen the men come in to purchase an assortment of drinks and snacks. However, they were only there briefly, and that was the last time that they were seen. A search party was then formed to try and locate the missing men, headed by Lieutenant Lance Ayers. Ayers had known them personally for many years. He had even attended high school with Ted Weir. Therefore, he felt a personal connection to the case. They searched the area and were left with no trace of the men. The search was then extended into the surrounding areas near Feather River Mountain Range. And after some time, Madruga's Mercury Montego had been found along the road in the Plumas National Forest, roughly 70 miles from Chico on the 28th of February, four days after the men had went missing. The area had been covered in snow, almost masking and burying the vehicle. Surprisingly, it had been left intentionally parked, as if the men had planned to return to it. The keys were missing from the ignition, but the officers were able to hotwire the car to drive it back to Yuba City. It was also discovered that there was plenty of gas left for the men to make it back home. This struck the officers as odd. What would cause them to leave the car parked along the road when they could have just as easily finished their journey back to their hometown? They then checked to see if the car could have gotten stuck in the snow but it was determined this was not the case. The search party continued to survey the area, but were stopped due to another snowstorm later in the night. As a result, the search was delayed till the spring, when the weather was better. This didn't stop Lieutenant Ayers. As the days progressed, he became even more determined than the last. He had to find the missing men, and nothing was going to stop him. He worked with the families to work every angle that they could. They even offered rewards for any information one could provide on their whereabouts. The phone calls then poured in from all over. Each claimed to see the men in different locations, from Ontario, Canada, to claims of them even being spotted in Florida. With each call, Ayers became more and more frustrated and was starting to lose hope. Till one day in June. 
On June 4th, Lieutenant Ayers received a call from a group of motorcyclists at the U.S. Forestry Services Camp. They had discovered a body that had been wrapped in a set of blankets and had been there for some time as decomposition had set in extensively. The body was identified to be that of Ted Weir, and after further examination, initial reports showed that Weir had lost more than 80 pounds. Only weighing 200 pounds when alive, it was determined that he may have starved to death. Further examination led to questions that could not be answered. Weir's shoes were missing, and frostbite had eaten away at his exposed feet. They also determined the length of his unkept beard, suggested that he had survived for at least eight weeks, but had never left the bed. Additionally, several army rations littered the floor, which had suggested that he had eaten at some point. The examiners also found an unlocked cabinet in the room that contained dehydrated food sitting untouched. It was said that there was enough food that could feed a small group for an entire year. Lieutenant Ayers investigated the scene and was surprised to find that no one had attempted to build a fire. He even found boxes of matches and plenty of papers and magazines to use for fuel. After further surveying the scene, he found the full propane tank behind the trailer, but it had never been turned on. The following day after discovering the body of Weir, the Plumas County Police found the body of Jack Madruga, roughly 11 miles from the trailer, near the road leading back to the car. It was determined he died along the way and most likely had been victim to hungry animals that inhabit the area. His body had been dragged almost 10 feet to a nearby stream. Most of the flesh on his right arm had been chewed off, his hand still clutching his watch, and his eyes and two fingers were missing. On the other side of the road, in a dense wooded area, police also found several bones scattered throughout. Further analysis proved the bones belonged to Bill Sterling. It was determined his body had also been consumed by forest animals, and his remains were spread throughout a 50-square-foot area. News spread throughout Yuba City like wildfire. As devastating and tragic the story was, Jack Hewitt Sr. joined the search party, despite Lieutenant Ayer's suggestion to stay out of it. Shortly after joining the search, he located the backbone, and the same pair of Levi jeans and shoes his son had been wearing the night that they had disappeared. The next day, Jack's skull was found, and the family dentist confirmed his identity by using his dental records. By this time, they had found four out of five of the men's remains. However, Gary Mathias had not been found. 
It had now been four months since the group's disappearance. Matthias's shoes had been discovered inside the trailer, suggesting he had swapped his for Weir's, which had been made of leather, and then left the trailer. To this day, Gary Matthias nor his body has ever been seen again or found. It was speculated that the men had been driving on the road, but had become lost. As the snowfall became more harsh, the men abandoned the vehicle and tried heading south on foot in the direction of home. By suggesting this, the men would have had to walk through harsh rocky terrain and wilderness, roughly 20 miles, before reaching the service trailer. Once inside, they may have tried to locate food and something to start a fire, and had been unsuccessful. Additionally, without knowing of the propane tank behind the trailer, and with Weir's condition worsening, Madruga, Hewitt, and Sterling may have left to try to locate help. While leaving Matthias to look after Weir, if this was the case, the men had most likely left during the snowstorm on the 28th of February, leading to their demise by hypothermia. A flashlight and three blankets were found roughly a quarter mile from the trailer. It was speculated that Matthias had left to locate his friends and bring them blankets, but may have gotten lost and also died by freezing to death. However, there was no further evidence to support this claim. To further add more to the tower of questions that had formed by this point, the question still lingered. Why were the men on the road to begin with? It was not a connecting road, connecting Chico to Yuba City. None of them had ever traveled the road before, nor would they be familiar with the area. What had driven them to leave the safety of the car and endure the freezing cold in the first place? Why had the men not thoroughly gone through the trailer and located the supplies? These questions will most likely never be met with appropriate answers. One can only speculate based on the information we have before us. However, with every mystery, there lie some details hidden or buried beneath the speculation, begging to be brought to light. In this particular case, something happened that night and over the weeks that followed that will most likely die along that mountain path, following the Yuba County Five before it. Welcome, campers, to Campfire Tales of the Strange and Unsettling. We're your hosts. I'm Ryan. And I'm Jordan. And now the debrief. Now the debrief. All right, man. I'm I'm hyped about this one. I love mysteries. I like a good mystery. Um, and this one is very close, uh, <laughs> as I've stated a couple times now, to our <laughs> Dyatlov Pass incident, which we both loved. Like, that's such a Absolutely. cool story. 
such a crazy i mean yeah such a crazy one with lots and lots of speculation and i think we're i think we're right there with this one as well yeah i mean it's i mean it's a mystery <laughs> it's as stated <laughs> it's, right like wait it's a mystery it is oh okay right. can confirm <laughs> no um it, i don't know it's just bizarre from the very beginning right cuz like the the part where they like initially diverge from what's expected right is that question can't be answered no no let alone the dozens of questions that follow right exactly like you can get into like well why did they switch shoes and shit like that but like you can't even there's really no way to even answer why were they there yeah I mean, there's there is some speculation on that. Yeah. Okay. Um, and some possible reasoning of why they could be there, but no like definitive like this is why one hundred percent they were going there. Yeah. Right. So. See, I was I was only vaguely aware of this story from like I think a couple of years ago. I listened to some podcast episode about it. Um, okay. But actually like listening to the story and paying attention and like getting all the details i'm super excited to to hear some some of the theories that people have been yeah is there, I mean, there's, around there there's some obvious theories right um you know which we'll we'll definitely dive into but then there's like some really like off the wall kind of kind of things that like have how would somebody know this or like what what makes someone think that right Right. Um, so yeah, well, like I said, we'll, we'll definitely, we'll dive into it for sure. Excellent. Okay. So getting into it, the, obviously the biggest difference between this and, you know, diet love pass, this is, this is constantly compared to diet love pass, right? right. It isn't it's, just us. Like, I mean, it's, it's, yeah, it's kind of like America's version or O2 diet love right. pass, right? Right. It's yeah, that's how I've I've always heard it referred to as like America's Diet Love Pass. But the big difference here is of course these people were not outdoorsy. Their families didn't you know, they like described them as being particularly indoorsy. Right. And none of them really ever stayed away from home. Um, yeah. A lot of them didn't really leave their homes other than to go to this, uh, like this rec center or this place where they're, you know, kind of learning trade skills and also getting to play basketball because they all had yeah. a very like fond love for basketball. And that was something that yeah. they shared. Right. I'm, I think that's like, that's a huge difference here. Right. Is yeah. like, I think, and I think that's what intrigued me so much initially is like, at least with the die out love pass, mystery you know why they're there right yeah yeah you know what i mean like you know what established their original like plan was yeah yeah and this just these guys were just supposed to head home yeah after the game like this is only two hours away from their home that they go to they go to chico and then back to yuba city and but yet they're found between like it's almost i think it was like almost like 70 miles from each location yeah. And the middle of and this it's like, mountain. Right. Yeah. And they drove like, it's like 5,000 feet in elevation up this mountain road. Something like that. Like, yeah. Yeah. 
That's that's just bizarre. And which, I don't know, like, had had. Do you know if they had gone to games there before? So, it, so in Chico, their their favorite team was playing, and I can't remember the exact team. Um, so, like, I'm assuming they had been there before. All right, let's just say, let's just say they had, right? Let's just say okay. they had. But it was also stated that none of them had ever really been in this mountainous area. Other than, like, two of them when they were kids, like, their dads would take them hunting. Yeah. Um. So, like, they were familiar with, like, some trails, but, like, not, like, none of them had been on this road or, like, whatever else, right? Yeah. Um. And then you have, like, Madruga driving, driving his car, like, navigating at midnight down these, like, windy, narrow, mountainous roads... Right. Also dodging like the snowstorm that's also happening, and I, some things are coming back to me. So okay. like, also there was like no evidence of damage on the bottom of this car. It was right. like, yeah, that which is a huge thing because you think of like modern cars and it's it's whatever they're light, they're like clearance is pretty good. Yeah, but like. This guy drove, what was it? A 69 Mercury Montego. That's a fucking heavy car. Yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a big car. It's very low to the ground. There's five, five guys five in adult it. men in the car. Um, yeah. And there was, this is where, this is where there was a couple like miss uh, a couple like facts that were kind of contradicting. Um, okay. So in most of the reports I read and, and like most of the videos and podcasts I could listen to all told the same thing. Like they had basically parked the car perfectly parked along, like along the side of the road and had gotten out. Yeah. The only like, you know, leaving the car behind. The only thing about it was they took the keys from the ignition and the window was slightly down. Okay. Now there's other things that state like they hit a snowbank. Like there's like a couple of other reports that say they hit a snowbank and they were stuck, but most of the reports they weren't. Uh, that was never the case. Okay. But one common thing was Madruga's mother said, like he never he never kept the window down. He never like rolled the window down while driving. Like it was like out. It was very like out of the ordinary for that window to be down in the first place too. Okay. Um. So a thing. couple a couple minor like you know little little things there but yeah like i said just just the fact that like some said he parked they parked it and some said that like they hit a snowbank but like i said the majority of it was that they had parked it which i yeah. mean that that makes it a lot more confusing though like and it bears yeah. it bears a lot more questions why would they just park it when they had plenty of gas to get back home and you know like instead they just park along the side of the road and leave and just get out right yeah yeah that's odd the thing is, though, even if they hit a snowbank and got stuck, again, we're talking about five grown men. You're telling me they exactly. can't get a car unstuck, right? And that was that was the other that was the argument when it came to that. Like when it came to like you know those reports, it was like, why wouldn't they be able to just get it out, push it out? Yeah. Like you know between between all of them, they were like you know stocky stocky guys. They were you know taller like basketball player guys yeah. and athletes. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, yeah which I, I don't think that holds up very well. So. And it just, like I said, it kind of bears the question because when they find the car, it's covered, it's covered in snow, but it's not like, it's not fully submerged in snow. Like, yeah, it's not fully buried. Right. So yeah, yeah, which is, which is weird. Like that, that's one of the first things that struck me. Like, why, why would you just leave the car when you could easily make it home? Yeah. 
See, this is where the theorizing starts already, because what entices five men who rarely even who rarely break from their their routine, right? What entices those fi- those five men to get out in the middle of the night uh, during a snowstorm on a mountain road? Agreed. It's very strange. Like, yeah, that's, that's this that's- is not. It's not normal behavior for for anyone, especially for them, because they're so routine-driven. Yeah, and the fact that, like, they were also playing a big game the next day. Like, a game that was getting them into, like, the Paralympic, like, finals, right? Like, that was, like, one of the the big things. Like, you know, they they decided because their favorite team was playing in Chico, they were going to go that night and then come back early enough that they could get plenty of rest and, and everything before their big game the next day. Yeah, go get hyped watching their favorite team win and then exactly. go home and get ready for their match. Yeah. Um I don't I don't know. It's um that's yeah, that's what I was going to say. There's there's another that's another big difference between Die Out Love and this. Yeah. Is obviously the the five men who, you know, died or went missing. Um they're of, you know, reduced mental capacity or had some mental illness. Yep. Right. And I feel like a lot of a lot of the like coverage on this, from what I remember, a lot of the coverage on this like kind of just kind of groups them together. You know, this is like the seventies also yeah. when diagnoses for mental health issues and <clears throat> and it it wasn't where it is today. Right. No, no, not at all. I mean, you know, like you have you have um, Gary Mathias being grouped in this group because he had I was diagnosed with schizophrenia, right? You know, so like, so he was kind of reduced to that. Which I mean, yeah, he was like, he was kind of like one of the go getters of the group, though. Like, yeah, you know, and so, but he but had even a, that he had had a couple like mental breaks, like you know, growing up yeah. and stuff that you know led to that. But even that in the 70s, schizophrenia was still kind of a catch-all diagnosis. Yeah, uh, that's true. For a lot of different mental illnesses. Right. Right. So like and this this guy was in war, right? Yeah, yeah, he he like, was in uh he was in West Germany. Yeah. And he this, was honorably discharged because he was diagnosed right. with schizophrenia. For all we know, this could be like PTSD. It could be a, a whole host of mental illnesses that just got umbrellaed under schizophrenia right. at that time. Now they did say like he had been on medicine for the last five years after his diagnosis. Yeah. And like during that time he had done much better. There were reports even by his father saying like he hadn't had any breaks, like, you know, hadn't had even, even, in, even in private, like hadn't had any like, you know, major issues or anything that like he was a lot more functioning, like, you know, and just, was normal and so yeah that's which kind of now, you know is this the is this the one that was never found that's the one that was never found right okay so obviously i i imagine at least one of the theories is that he had another break we've got a lot of theories on right. this one yes yeah like because that's definitely a possibility right, right. if he was uh, paranoid schizophrenic it would be and he had a, a mental break 
I could definitely see that turning things sideways right. for the group. There was and this a, not being a group that would be particularly good at handling a situation like that. Right, exactly. You know what I mean? And there was there was a, like a running subreddit that was all focused on Gary Mathias and what happened. Um, and a lot of speculation on like did he kill the remain the other four? Right. You know, and and that was the thing. And a lot of people said, like, what if he would have had that mental break? Like, yeah, he hadn't had one in a long time. He'd been taking his meds, whatever. But what if that night something happened? But there's also some other stories, some other other facts that were, like, brought about later on. What if he was, like... What if he was, like, trying to stay clear for the big game or whatever and didn't take his med? Right. You know what I mean? Yeah, I thought like, about that too. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Which I mean, that's that's possible. It's definitely possible. Yeah. Now, Madruga. Uh, so, like I was talking about, like how like he left his window, like his driver's side window down, and stuff like that. Yeah. His mother believed that basically something had followed them or chased them. Uh, she actually stated, "quote unquote," there was some force that made them go up there. They wouldn't have fled into the woods like a bunch of quail. We know good and well that someone made them do it. We can't visualize something, someone getting the upper hand on those five men, but we know it must have been. So she believes something chased them up there. Okay. Which, there are some other, some other things that kind of support that a little bit. I mean, that is one reason people go places they weren't planning on going. Exactly. Right? Is they get yep. chased. Yeah. And some believe that the men were trying to hide from something, something, or someone. Yeah. Sure. Um, and so there were there were rumors that basically foul, place had, or foul play had surfaced around the time that the bodies were found. Um, you know, and one person even provided basically details of that night. Um, so... This is this is a little this is a little strange. So there was a guy by the name of Joseph Shones. Okay. Um he's driving down the same road that the Mercury Montego was found. So he's driving down this road and his Volkswagen Beetle a Beetle and it had gotten stuck in the snow. And like he gets out to try and get it out and suffers a mild heart attack. Right. Mild enough that he like climbs back in his car and then endures the pain and then goes to sleep. Just waits it out. Right. Um, so he ended up spending the night in the car and he awoke to the sounds of whistles and looked out the window to see several men and a woman holding a baby standing in front of a car off in the distance. Okay. He tried to call out for help, but the men and the woman retreated back to their car, lights off, they disappeared. Hmm. So he gets back in, goes back to sleep. Sometime later, he's awoken again to lights shining through his windows. And okay. the same sound of a whistling, like that same whistling sound again, right? And, but there was, there was nothing there. And a little okay. bit later, his engine died because he had had his car running for so long, just trying to stay warm. The engine died. So he basically got out. He walked about eight miles down the trail in the freezing cold. Along the way, he finds the Montego sitting on the side of the road. But he didn't think much of it because he had seen like these people off in the distance and like figured like there were some people out here, like maybe they had gotten stuck too, right? Right. 
Um, but yeah, so that was that was another kind of strange tidbit. So the fact that he like sees these groups, the, this group of guys along with this woman holding a baby, um, yeah. they do nothing. Like they don't help him out or anything. Some people speculate like maybe he didn't actually see a woman. Maybe he just saw like the group of guys, and they like hear this like person call out for help and get spooked, and they like take off and then they get lost. Sure. Um, that's I guess that's possible. Or the whole thing could have been a cardiac event-induced fever dream. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Um. So there, there is basically. Um, oh, I'm trying to go back to it because I know I know I had more on that. But like one thing is that he, this Shones guy. He changed his story multiple times throughout, like, because, I mean, he was found. Like, you know, he's found, right. he's alive, he's good to go. But he, he changed his story multiple times. And then he also went back and said that, like, sometimes he would say that he was very ill, and sometimes he would say that he was fine, and that this, this actually occurred. But sometimes okay. when he'd say he was ill, he, said, he would say that he could have hallucinated it. Yeah. Due to his well-being at that point, right? Yeah, I mean, so he goes back and forth basically between he was fine when he woke up, and then sometimes he's saying he was still sometimes feeling terrible he was, when he woke right, up. Right, yeah, and that he could have possibly hallucinated. Right. I mean, he wouldn't be the first person to have visual and auditory hallucinations during a heart event. Well, yeah, exactly. I mean, that's that's a you know some a pretty major, even though it was like a minor heart attack. Still, yeah. like, I mean, that's enough to it's a heart attack. Yeah, like, yeah, you know exactly. A minor so, heart attack is still a heart attack, right? Like I could definitely see that being the case. Yeah, but at the same time, it is interesting, I though. I mean, it the is, five of right. them were out there, right? Exactly. So, he definitely could have seen them. Now there is kind of more to this. Okay. Um. So. Uh, so some people that were there at the game had seen, um, had seen like the this group of guys, and basically that they were had seen them confronted by another group of a group of men. Okay. Um. You know I mean, that who's who knows? Like right. they saw them having words. Right. Exactly. Interesting. I mean, you know, I could see, like, you know, their, you know, especially, like, mental capacity, like, you know, health states sure. and things like that. Probably defensive, right? Yeah. Um, You know, so, yeah, I could I could definitely see that being a thing. But, yeah. now, there's this, there's a little bit in 2017, and I didn't want to get there yet, but in 2017, since we're kind of on this path then. Okay. So, in 2017, Jack Hewitt's sister... Supposedly, sister-in-law reached out on a blog, okay. um, and I think it was—I think it was actually on Reddit. Um, you know, so basically, and she had believed that the men had witnessed an altercation between some men and a woman. Okay, and these this group of five, the Yuba City Five, they tried to help the woman, which then led to a hostile con- confrontation between the other guys. Mm. And as a result, she claimed that Matthias had been thrown off a bridge 
and had fallen to his death. Okay. And that the other men had fled and drove up the mountain trail and got lost in the woods. Interesting. Right. That Which, would kind of tie in with the guy seeing a woman with a group of men. Exactly. Yes. She could have been part of that group initially, part of, part of that group, and maybe like, you know, like gotten an argument or something, and these guys tried to like stick up for her. And yeah. then later on, they chase them, you know, chase this group after they, you know, push this guy off of this bridge. They, yeah. you know, try and hightail it out, and they chase him into this, this mountain, like these right. mountains. Chase the witnesses. Exactly. Yeah. That I, I think is pretty, yeah, pretty, like, that's almost compelling because it would explain why Matthias was never found. Yep. Um, you know, and we don't know for sure, like, anything, like, yeah, we did see shoes, but, I mean, you know, who's to say 100% those were Matthias' shoes or maybe he didn't have, have his shoes on or something. Maybe they fall, they fell off. Who knows? Um, <laughs> Maybe yeah. he got shoved so hard off the bridge his shoes fly, flew off. <laughs> Maybe. Exactly. You know, we we don't know. So uh, that was one I, I thought was a little strange, but it also kind of ties in with what Shones had seen yeah. with the group of people, the group of men and the woman. Right. Now, did, did the sister-in-law say why she thought that was the case? Not anything I was able to find. Okay. Just so that, she's... like, she chimed in. You know, 40 years later. Yeah. And it was like, hey, you know, like this is, this is this what, is what I, I believe happened. actually happened. Right. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. I mean, maybe she heard some, maybe she was privy to some information that wasn't public. You know what there I mean? There was. So, yeah, there was actually several things that weren't actually published. So another detail that was left out of the police reports was that there were actually shell casings found at the entry to that mountain road. Okay. So maybe a group in chase was firing shots at their car as they right. chased them up the mountain road. Exactly. But they looked and there were no like there were no shots or anything on the car. So like there right. was no hit or anything. Maybe they're just really bad but, shots. <laughs> right, exactly. It's also <laughs> midnight. In a middle in the middle of a snowstorm, like right. you know, like yeah, it doesn't take much to be a bad shot then, um, you know. So that's another one of those, but those things that never made it into any official report, though. Yeah, that's odd. That seems significant. I don't know why that wouldn't have made it into a police report, right? Because that could suggest violence. Uh, yeah, actual yeah. foul play, right? Yeah. I mean, I I kind of like the and by like I mean I find it believable. The the idea of them being chased because I mean just it comes back to why would they drive up that road? Why would they be there? Exactly. Yeah. And maybe like okay, so maybe they're being chased and maybe the bit about them hitting a drift and getting, you know, Temper even temporarily stuck holds up, and the reason they don't take Maybe. the time to push the car out is because they're being they're chased. being chased, so they hop and they have out to and just, just jump out of the car. It. Yeah, yeah, they just start running, running through the forest. That's that's possible. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Now, there's some there's some additional things here. So some believe 
that the car had actually been moved or dropped off by a third party. Okay. And that may have been as a result of a conflict, you know, something had happened. Um, and then basically the bodies are disposed of. Okay. That's, it just seems like an odd way to dispose of the bodies. Right. And then also to have one literally sitting and rotting away in a bed. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that that doesn't make sense to me. I um, mean, what were... Because I know you mentioned that, like, he he was nursing some kind of damage. What, right. what happened to um, him? Was it the frostbite that immobilized him? Yeah, his him, frostbite. Or? So, yeah, because at that point he ex- he had experienced extensive frostbite on his feet. Gotcha. Like enough to where it, like they were gangrenous or whatever. Right. Like you know, and I mean, yeah, like he couldn't walk. So he laid in the bed because because of that. Right, and that's why like we after weeks passed. I mean, there's all this food. There's plenty of things to start a fire. There's but he literally. A, a propane tank and heat in this trailer that they could have just turned on by turning on yeah. the propane tank, you know, like, yeah, like they could have survived if all of them would this would have stayed there and like, you know, had their wits about them. They yeah. could have survived. Some believe that basically due to, um, you know, due to like the nature of, uh, you know, due to like their mental state and everything, right. That they didn't quite know how to cope in that situation. But right. what I don't buy about that is you have two ex-military men, two ex-army yeah. men that are part of, they're trained. I mean, that's that's one of the biggest things that you're taught is how to survive. Right. Like, in the wild. Like, if yeah. nothing else, you're taught how to survive. Even minimally. Like, even some, someone with, like, limited brain capacity and things like that would at least have some recollection yeah. or some knowledge of that, right? So that's that's why I, I, don't, I don't buy into that at all. Yeah, I mean... It, you know, like they say, and in periods of great stress, you sink to the level of your training, right? Right. Exactly. Yeah. I don't, yeah, I don't get that either. My, okay. So building off of the, the confrontation with the other group, that theory, um, and they chase them up the road, they get caught in the snow drift. They don't have time to push it out. So they jump out of the car, take off into the woods, Right. Right. So let's say they walk. It's like 20 miles from the car to the trailer, right? Yeah. It's, it's literally like 19 points something, literally 20 miles is what it comes down to. So from the car to the trailer, they walk 20 miles through the forest, through the mountains until they come across this trailer and probably halfway there, dude's feet are fucked. Right. Right. So they're probably carrying him at, him at that point. See, that's they, what I think. And then they basically get back and throw him onto the bed, like, you know, find the nearest like place yeah. that they could put him. Right. And then I'm thinking they say, you, you can't walk, stay here in the bed. We'll go get help. Right. And that's, that's where Hewitt, Madruga and Sterling all go. And that's why they think like maybe they had Gary Mathias stick back with right um, Weir, and you know as just so someone's there with him. The only thing that doesn't make sense to me there is Mathias was one of the ex-military guys, right? 
Right, exactly. So maybe so, that was where like they thought like maybe he would figure some like figure something out. Like, wouldn't he it, at the very know. least have searched the cabin? See, fully? that's that's what that's what's weird about this. Yeah, because you would think, and especially because in that same room that they, that Matthias or that Weir is laying in, there's an an unlocked cabinet that has a lot of dehydrated food. Yeah. Literally enough for a small group to live on for a year. Like, that's how yeah. much was in there. They so would have been perfectly thing. fine if none of them would have left. What if Matthias never made it to the cabin? That's that's possible. Like, what if at some point they got he got separated from the group or he, you know, fell down an embankment or he, you know, was attacked by an animal or whatever. A hundred things that could have happened to him before they ever make it to the trailer. Then they get to the trailer. I think they leave Weir there alone. I think maybe they like drag over a pile of whatever the the first food they see and they're like, you stay here, we'll go get help. The rest of them go, leave him there. And he literally can't get up out of the bed because his feet are so messed up. So once he goes through that food that they dragged over to him... That's all he has. He basically lays in the bed and starves. But if it were me, even though, yeah, my feet are jacked, I'd be, like, crawling or, like, you know, something. Looking for some way to, like, stay alive. Like, there's no way I would stay in the bed the whole time. I wonder how long you can stay in, like, a semi-hypothermic state and stay alive. Because I, I bet it's a while. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure it's a while. Maybe, I mean, maybe he could have been delirious for half of the time he was there, you know? Yeah, I suppose that's possible. Like Not even realizing that he was starving hmm. to death. Because it's also said that he ends up losing basically 80 pounds. Yeah. So he's there for Which, weeks. Yeah. Man, that's, that's, ins- that's, a, that's a lot of weight. Like... Yeah. To lose, I mean, with your body literally eating away at itself. To lose almost half of your body weight. Right. Now, but what about, like, and that's the other question where I get back to, like, Matthias's shoes are there, and uh-huh. Weir's shoes are gone. Yeah, that's pretty odd. So, but maybe they, maybe they changed out shoes in the middle of the day, or night, or something. I That's mean, possible, right? If he he had the frostbite, right? So weird, yeah, yeah. So maybe, sorry, I'm kind of having trouble keeping everyone's names straight, but right, yeah, no, I, I understand for sure. There's there's five of them, so it's kind of yeah. Maybe halfway there, or part of the way there, Weir is like complaining about his feet, right? Freezing. He's wearing these like cloth shoes or whatever they are. Well, Weir and, had leather shoes and. Um, it was said that Matthias had had more of I think he had like more of like tennis shoes or something like that. And they they switched. So the guy with frostbite took the tennis shoes. See, I don't know. That's the only way I could think that like cuz he's in leather shoes. I would feel like his feet would have survived a lot longer than Maybe that's else's. why he got the frostbite cuz he switched exactly. shoes. That's what I, that's what I'm saying. Like maybe they switched off earlier on or something. Maybe like his feet were hurting. Yeah, and then you know, and then Matthias is like, "Yeah, you know, we're the same size. I'll swap. Like, that's fine." <laughs> yeah, he's like, "Yeah, Who I'll knows? take those fucking leather shoes." <laughs> right, exactly. 
I don't. Like, that's, that's the only. That's the only reason I could think. Like, otherwise, how would he have developed frostbite so quickly? Yeah. when no one else did. Yeah, that's that. That is pretty odd. Yeah, I mean, he it could have come down to he just had the worst shoes. You know, right? Exactly. I mean, there are a lot of details, right? Maybe his shoes were like old and shitty. Maybe like he had holes in the soles of his true shoes and you know what i mean like could have been a bunch of things you would i mean it's hard to tell in the 70s i i associate like basketball people with being pretty obsessed with their shoes right so i I mean back then it was was sneakers of yeah pretty much any kind right right you know so yeah maybe he had some like just canvas sneakers that we all know are awful in the snow yes and anyone who grew up listening to punk rock knows the torture <laughs> of wearing Chuck Taylors in January. Right, exactly. Yeah. Literally one step and your foot is soaked and freezing yep. Yep. for the whole day. Then you have to sit through school all day with frozen fucking oh, sopping man. wet feet. Yeah. Yeah. Not a good yep. way to go. I know those days. That's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, that's like the only only reason, like only logical reason I could put together why, yeah, why he'd I get the frostbite, like, right? Exactly. So, unless because I know he also didn't have a coat. Neither him or Matthias had coats. It's incredible that they lasted at all, walking twenty miles in that in right. that in those weather conditions. Without without even a coat. Yeah, exactly. That's insane. So, like, there's just a lot that doesn't add up to me. Yeah. Now, there's also... So, it's said that... Um, so, Gary Mathias, the one that hasn't ever been found... Right. He had a friend that lived in Forbestown. So Forbes Town is basically between Chico and uh, Yuba City, and this mountainy area. Okay, it's in the vicinity of where all this happened. Right. It's not. It's not like it's not super close, but it's in that direction. Like if they would have turned right. off on this road, they would have turned off on another another road. They would have went to Forbes Town instead. They went off on this other road. Right. Okay. So maybe they were so, going to see that friend. Right, so some people think that, like, maybe Matthias, like, talked them into, like, going there. Like, it was snowing so bad that, like, it was the closest place to go. And then, basically, they missed their turn to Forbes Town, and then they get lost in this, just, on, in the mountains. Okay. You know, they make the wrong turn, and then, boom. That's, you know, now it's just dealing with all of that. Right. So, that's, I guess that's another thing. So, like, yeah, it said that he knew somebody that lived kind of out in that direction. Well, if you remove the element of them being chased, then the next big question is, why would they leave their car? Like, there's literally no good reason to leave a why car that would still has gas in it. Yeah. Exactly. You're, even if just to sit in it and be warm, like... Yeah. Like the heart attack guy did. Exactly. It just That does not make any sense. And why would they continue walking in the direction that instead of going back the way they came? You know what back I mean? Back towards like a main highway. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. 
It's just uh, stuff that just doesn't add up. I know. Yeah, it's odd. Now, of course, there are some that think alien abduction. Right, right. I was hoping this was about to get fun. Yeah. So there, <laughs> there are some that think, you know, like, Matthias was abducted by aliens. The others, like, tried to fight it off or whatever else, and then they all end up dead. You know, or whatever. just fled. Exactly. Because of the experience. The other thing is something, some think it was a Yeti. Right. And, you know, like, <laughs> so, <laughs> but you can't go anywhere without those being possibilities. Dude, a Northern Especially California this, Bigfoot yeah. just wrecking them. Yeah, I could see that. I could see right, something like exactly. that happening. Like maybe they go to visit the guy. They missed the turn. They, they're, 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 maybe they do make the decision we would make and go like, we're just going to camp out in the car. When the sun comes up, we'll figure out which way we need to go and go that way. Yeah. And problem is halfway through the night, they get a damn Bigfoot knocking on the door. Hey, I mean, that's, that's possible. That's definitely possible. Yeah. Or like, like, uh, uh, our Shone's friend, uh, had seen like, as he was sitting there, he saw those bright lights yeah. throughout his car windows and never saw what it was. He only heard that whistling sound. UFO. And then it was gone. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Interesting. So that's a possibility. I mean, there's not really anything that goes into it because you can't really like yeah, can't yeah. speculate how or what happened. Like you know, sure. Just that like it could have been that. There's <laughs> no like landing site or right. There was, there was no like yeah. There was nothing that they were able to find that like would yeah. have like matched that being a thing. Okay. I mean, you could say that the the site the sighting by the fellow that had the heart attack. You could consider that like corroborating, yeah, witness statement, right? Of like the mysterious lights, the odd whistling, the people that he saw that just uh, like retreated. Like maybe yeah. they maybe they weren't humans. Yeah, maybe he thought some were male and some were female because they were both neither. <laughs> oh man! <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, that's that's another one. Um, you know, just like I said, it's it's hard not to like at least go that direction. Now, like, um, yeah, I mean, just just the fact that Matthias was never found. So this is what. Yeah. So a lot of people speculate on this, right? He was never found. Some people believe like he didn't make it long at all. Okay. Some people believe that he also made it significantly further, and like there, I forget there's this other town that's like, or this other area, smaller area, um, further into the mountains, that he died in between that, like the trailer and there, and I can't remember exactly where it's called, but like, okay, that like the area was never thoroughly investigated enough, but like they, I mean they they looked at this area a lot, yeah, yeah, they were they went pretty in depth. Well, they had the detective so, that was, like, obsessed with the case, right? Right. Yeah, Lieutenant Air. So, like, yeah. you know, like, I would feel they would find something because they extended their search. They extended their search, like, miles. Um, And, I mean, like, think of, like, yeah, I mean, maybe he managed to stay alive. Maybe he managed to, like, whatever for a couple of days. 
But like in that, like you're you're only gonna get so far in such like treacherous conditions. Yeah. And the fact that he probably didn't and maybe 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 he found that food in the trailer and he took a bunch of the dehydrated food with him. Could be. Maybe he like took a box of matches and found like was able to start a fire. Maybe he made it to his friend's house. But he's never been seen again. This yeah. is the thing. He's in his body, his remains have never been found. It's odd. It's definitely really odd. odd. Exactly. It, it has to be it has to be realized here also that the Sierra Nevada mountain range is massive. Oh, it's it's huge. I mean, huge. we're talking like massive tracts of of unpopulated wilderness. I mean, like we've right. even talked about this when it came to like Lake Tahoe and stuff yeah. like that. Like that mountain range is massive. Yeah. So like this isn't just like a small rural stretch between towns. You know what I mean? Like this is miles and miles and miles of wilderness. Yeah. That, that I mean, like you said, maybe he made it way longer than they did. But right. the question would be, why would how would he not figure out which way to go? See, I don't know. Like, because you go and I mean, it's there's that thing. Like, right, you go you go so long in one direction. If you get turned around. You don't know which direction you're really going in anymore. Yeah. Especially if the area all looks the same. Right. It would be so easy to get off path unless like you literally, I mean, like nowadays, like we have phones, like we have built in compasses everywhere Yeah. or GPS. Like, you know, it's, it's hard to get lost now. Harder, harder to get lost than it used to be. Exactly. Yeah. Now, like, yeah, if they would have been prepared, like, you know, they would like, they would have been prepared for just in case, which you yeah. know, I mean, I know that they probably hadn't planned on driving into these mountains anyways. Yeah. Because it was all like a stretch of highway that they took to get to Chico and back. Like, that's all yeah. they needed. And let's not get lost in the fact that Matthias was a military guy because he, even his family made like special note to say that he was not outdoorsy. Right. He was, I mean, he was in the military, but that doesn't mean that he knows his way around the woods very well. Right. You know what I mean? He might not know his way around the woods, but I think he at least would have some common sense on survival. He would have survival skills for sure. Right. But like, I don't, anyone can get lost. If watching years and years of Les Stroud has taught me anything, it's that like getting lost in the forest happens to super advanced. the best of people. Yeah. 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 So, like, maybe he did, maybe he, you know, maybe the rest of the group went down from cause after cause, right? Whatever they may be. And he was just the last one and grabbed up some dehydrated meals and some matches and struck out on his own and yeah, See, just made it so what deep I, in, what maybe I he think. just made it so deep into the mountains that they never found him. Exactly. Right? Yep. And then after, you know, like your your body's there like yeah like there's bears there's everything else there like i mean we know like even even one of the guys jack jack hewitt the only thing really found was from him was his skull and his backbone yeah that's crazy along with like his genes and you know whatever and his father found him yeah exactly yeah which would be god that'd be tough yeah yeah so, but yeah, I mean, those being like the only two things found and the only way that I could, they could really identify him was by his dental records. Right. And that's just well, assumed that that was from predation. Like, yeah. exactly. 
Yeah, that's it's intense. I mean, this is like legit wilderness. Right. Yeah. So exactly. And this is north northern California where that's I mean Yeah. Yeah, you're you're into like Tahoe area and all of that's like expansive. Yeah. Like forest. Yeah. So it's, yeah, it's crazy. It's it's super crazy, and it's like I said, it's it's hard to really like go one direction because like yeah. there's the what ifs or but that doesn't really add up. Like right. then why not? You know. So yeah, I feel like that's where it is, reminds me a lot of Dyatlov Pass. Like yeah, you know. I mean, there's no there is no good answer here. And then there's still that question of, just like the subreddit, did Matthias kill the other four? Right. And this has been something people have talked about for many, many, many years. Yeah. Did he end up having point. a break? Did he like kill them and then drive back himself? Right. Try and get rid of the bodies or make it look like something, you know, he didn't. Like did it happen naturally? Yeah, but carrying them twenty miles into the woods. I mean, yeah, I know. That's, I know. that's or pretty... maybe maybe they all got to the cabin and Maybe that's when the break happened. The stress exactly. of being lost and being out yeah. there. Maybe that caused the the break. Or he went after Hewitt, you know, Madruga and Sterling, and killed all them out in the out in the woods and left weird, uh, just die off. Yeah, like, yeah. Because I mean, we know he was alive for several weeks. Yeah. We know that he lasted several weeks. So that's one 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 hundred percent thing we know. Man, that's he lasted so, at least a couple weeks. That's so horrifying. Yeah, that that's, would be awful. Ugh. Like not being able to do anything. Like yeah. literally not even leaving the bed. Which, like I said, if it were me, I would find some way to figure it out. Like you know, just endure the pain. Like hmm. your feet are already gone. Just just go with it. That's what I'm saying at a certain level of like pain and cold. He, there's no way he was all there. You know? Oh, I agree. I agree. But I don't know. I I feel like the gap between running out of food and getting to that point, there had to be a gap there where most people would have dragged themselves to the food. The problem know? with that is also we're being the old like the oldest one of the group. He also had the mind of a child. Right. He had the brain capacity of a child. So, like, literally, you know, I mean, that that could also be it. Like, you know, like you have... It's like a little boy. I'm assuming a child's survival instincts are going to be significantly less of that of, uh, you know, an adult. Yeah, their ability Um, to handle the situation certainly would be. Right. And, like, the resolve, right, that it would take to drag your badly... Your badly frostbitten... Feed Even across through the, the pain to like just yeah. endure it and like just for survival instinct, like yeah, you know, I could see that being a lot less, you know, in somebody in that, yeah. in that capacity. Yeah, so that, that's a fair. That point. could explain it, right? Yeah. yeah, it's just yeah, it's it's hard to really formulate any real theory or like, you know, I I do I do think that Matthias probably made it longer. I don't. Yeah. I personally, I don't think he killed everybody. Like, I mean, you know, I don't know, but you know, I'm just going to say, you know, like I doubt it at least. I mean, the only, this is, this is another case where the only way to talk about it really is to write a screenplay. 
right? Because there's so little evidence that makes sense. Right. That, yeah. like, you have to kind of fill in the blanks with fantasy, you know? Yeah, you're right. You're right, for sure. And I enjoy that. I do like I that mean, a lot. <laughs> yeah, it's not a bad thing. It's not a... I mean, I, I like those, you know... Yeah, it's like getting a really endings. weird writing prompt. Right, exactly. Yeah. But it's just such a... It's, it's just such a weird, weird situation. Yeah. But that's why it is so... Like such a, a big thing that's why people refer to it as the american version of the diet Life past incident yeah i mean this this mystery has endured half a century exactly you know that's yep that's significant yeah it's right up there with diet love and and the lighthouse and yeah that one like, too right yeah these just so what incredible you, stories where what do we you just, personally think i mean do you yeah. have any idea any any opinions at all Honestly, I I lean toward them being chased onto the mountain. Okay. That something yeah. happened, some kind of confrontation with another group. I don't know if it was I, the I group that, that was supposedly seen them arguing with at the game. That seems odd to me that it would, you know, that the but, confrontation like, like, would boil over so far away. Right. But it's the 70s and think of like people messing with like these people that are maybe a little bit slower maybe sure. may, may not be like you know all there versus like yeah i mean i could see some you know idiot out there just be like oh yeah you know whatever right. and then like they mess with them so much that like these people get in their car to take off and these people chase after them yeah right you know so yeah. I, I could definitely see that being at least what kind of drove them to get there yeah one of those like asshole fueled horror stories exactly yeah yeah but normally like those guys also get the you know bad end of it too because they end up on the wrong road and yeah you know next to some pretty gnarly territory yeah definitely um i don't know i like i said i like the i i I like the idea of them being chased onto the mountain that makes the most sense to me that they would divert that strongly I think that makes more sense than like, oh, they missed a turn and just kept going for some reason. I think so too. You know? Yeah. Um, for sure. Cause yeah, these are mountain roads, but to my understanding, they're not like single lane, like dirt. Right. As far as, I mean, as far as we know, right. Yeah. I mean, this is a road you could ostensibly turn your car around on. I would think so. Yeah. Because they pulled to the side of the road. That's the way yeah. it was worded, right? Yep. Yeah, they pulled off to so, the side of the road, like, yeah, underneath if, this, or yeah. next to, like, this bank. If you can pull off the road, then you can turn the car around. Um, I don't know, man. I think probably chased onto the mountain, jumped out to try to get away when they got stuck. And I think things probably just devolved from there. Yeah. They just... Maybe they traded shoes, and the bad shoes led to bad frostbite, and then I think probably they left... Okay, this is the way I see it. They left Weir in the cabin because he couldn't walk anymore. Yeah. 
Um, and maybe they were, you know, exhausted from carrying him. It was just like a, we'll, we'll get to help faster if you stay here and we'll come back for you. Right. And then they go down one by one until only Matthias is left. And Matthias just keeps going. Yeah. And, you know, you get turned around once or twice in the woods and all of a sudden you think you're going the right way and you're not and you do that for a week. And what do you, what the hell do you do at that point once you're a week in the wrong direction? Exactly. And with nowhere, no, no yep. way to get back, like... You run out no, of matches, you run out of food, and right. you're a week off track. Civilization's not close, like, yeah. Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. That I, makes the I most sense I'm, to me. Yeah, I think I'm I'm right there too. I, that's that. I mean, that just is the only thing that could really provide any rational explanation. I think. I mean, either that or they the full car was tractor beamed by mantids, <laughs> and maybe all, <laughs> and one of them were kept, and you know. The rest of them were chopped up and sprinkled into the woods. Thrown out throughout the... And, right. Yeah. Yep. And then, you know, the the aliens just dropped the car perfectly on the side of the road on some random mountain. I mean, if we're being honest, that's the coolest option. That Yeah. <laughs> I don't but, know. That, that midnight Bigfoot attack is pretty gnarly uh, story, too. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that could be... Oh. But no damage to the car. And right. I buy that less. I'm yeah. saying probably that first story is the most likely and the mantid attack is the coolest. I'll agree with that. I'll agree with that. I think the first the first option like I said I think we're right we're right there thinking the same thing. Second, obviously anytime aliens are involved, some abduction of yeah. some kind. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'll always lean in that direction as a Maybe that's that's a possible. <laughs> yeah, and for the listeners out there, I just chose mantids because I was trying to think of a race that would like chop up people like a blender. Yeah, you know, there you go. Yeah, that might only leave a spine and skull behind. They are pretty gnarly. Yeah, yeah. Awesome. Well, yeah, I think uh, I I think we're I think we're together in that, and so yeah. I think that should uh, should wrap it up. Uh, that's uh, episode 36, the Yuba County 5. Thank you, thank you, thank you. From the bottom of our weird, possibly alien, maybe ghostly, probably cryptid hearts for listening. We absolutely love having the chance to discuss all these wild creatures and events every week. And it's your continued attention that allows us to carry on. And if you want more, you can support us on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash campfire tales of the strange and unsettling. It's there you will find bonus content behind the scenes or just keeping up on our day to day and maybe some swag along the way. It is our way to show thanks for your support and do everything we can to provide you with as much content as possible. Again, that's patreon.com forward slash campfire tales of the strange and unsettling with that said we want to get to know each and every one of you so please come and check us out on all the socials at campfire.tales.podcast on instagram and facebook 
at Campfire T-O-T-S-A-U on Twitter. And you can also visit our website at campfirepodcastnetwork.com. If you love the show, please rate and review it. It's what truly helps us continue bringing your weekly dose of the strange and unsettling. And lastly, we do have our merch store. You can find the link available on all of our social media or via our link tree. Show your support. Buy a shirt. Buy a sticker. Buy a blanket. Buy a pillow. Anything that you want to rep Campfire Tales of the Strange and Unsettling. And a special thanks to Greg Martin at Reverent Music on Instagram. The brilliant mind behind the gorgeous music that you hear each week behind the debrief. So go find him at reverentmusic.bandcamp.com or you can visit his Spotify page by searching Reverent, R-E-V-E-R-E-N-T. All of these links can be found in the episode description. Go and support him. You both deserve it. And that's it. Until next time, I'm Ryan. I'm Jordan. And remember, campers, stay weird and and trust trust in the unknown. unknown.